0: Travel is one of modern life's great gifts. The ease of our ability to traverse, explore, and uncover new places has become a relative second nature. As we surmise the totality of our experiences, our reminiscences of travel tend to occupy the top tiers of our respective memory banks. Travel is the fuel that powers imagination. It confers the meaningful opportunity to connect with humanity in an array of unique ways. It's the starting point for immersion in nature and the illumination of our precious natural wonders. Travel is contradictory in the best possible ways. It's both deeply personal and something that is often shared. It's money spent, but riches gained. It yields the perspective of the small place we occupy on this planet and the context for our existence all at once. Perhaps most fundamentally, it's an incredibly fun way to occupy oneself. The Joel Found podcast talks with incredible founders, entrepreneurs and creatives about their experience of travel. We'll hear the origin stories of their brands, how travel has played a part in their success and get a taste of how they like to travel. Here's a chance to imagine you've strolled into the first class lounge and found a seat next to someone who's going places. Art is a very broad construct, open to extreme interpretations, universal and individual at the same time, omnipresent, a creative medium that's existed since the beginning of humankind. In our modern world, it can be wildly divisive, polarising, or conversely unifying. It's illuminating, dynamic, and exciting. Perhaps what we at Joel found love the most about art is that it's an incredible navigation tool for travel. Art can compel visitors to almost any inhabited place on the planet. Today on the Joel Found podcast, we're going to immerse ourselves in the art of travel as we welcome Kate Mizrahi of Art Atlas. Kate has an extensive background in cross-cultural arts management. She has worked in both public and private galleries in Germany and Australia, overseen many solo and group exhibitions and managed major public art commissions in Australia, Japan and Hong Kong. Kate has been a curator at the Jewish Museum of Australia and worked at AsiaLink at the University of Melbourne. Kate holds degrees from Swinburne University and a master's degree from Monash University. She has also studied at the Dusseldorf Academy in Germany and Weide University in South Korea. Kate has received many awards, including the prestigious Earthwatch Scholarship to Conduct Sustainable Development Research in Nepal. Kate's company, Art Atlas, is a boutique art tool company specialising in guiding art collectors and enthusiasts through galleries, museums and artist studios to develop a deeper appreciation of contemporary art. Kate works with galleries, fairs, curators and artists all over the world to unlock extraordinary experiences. On this episode, we're going to learn more about how those journeys look and talk about what we're planning together. Kate. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. We've been talking a lot recently about all the fantastic art happenings around the world, so I'm excited to continue that conversation.
1: Hi, Joel. Great to be with you this morning.
0: So usually I start by getting a bit of a background on the person and the brand that you've created, but I'm going to start with a much simpler question today. What is art to you?
1: Oh, gosh, I don't think that's a simpler question at all. That's a much harder question. There's a famous artist who once said, art defines itself, and I think that's true. Art is constantly redefining and changing. Um, But for me, art is something, not just something that you hang on your wall or something decorative, it's more of a cultural pursuit and a creative endeavour. So it's an activity rather than just a a product. Um, And if we talk about visual contemporary art, as opposed to broadly, you know, dance, literature, Um, there's, there's such an ecology around just visual art, there's museums, there's art fairs, there's commercial galleries, curators, but none of that actually happens without the artists. So for me, the artists are central, the creative producers, the ones that are actually coming up with the extraordinary ideas and then making them into something. I
0: think, you know, when I was thinking about this conversation today, I was thinking about that art has really existed since the beginning of time which is a, you know, it's a unique construct. And this is where I started, I was thinking about it, how we learn about art as kids Mm -hmm. and in our childhood. Mm -hmm. And I mean, art is one of the core subjects of primary school. It's probably most people, most kids' favourite subject at school. Um, do, Do you have memories of your experience of learning about art as a child?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Everyone seems to sort of love doing art classes in primary school. Not so much um, very well taught in Australia in secondary school.
0: I want to let's talk about that after the bit. But yeah. tell me about when you started learning about art.
1: Um, well, I think my my family and my grandparents, you know, really encouraged a creative environment for me. Um, but I can distinctly remember as about a 10-year-old going with my parents to an artist studio uh, that we used to visit every summer in Warrnambool, um, a lovely Swiss artist called Robert Ullman who was very well known in the Western District. And um, he he sketched my portrait when I was about 10 years old, my sister and I, and I can really strongly remember sitting in his studio and, you know, the smell of the, you know, the all these crayons and, you know, a really hot summer stay and the conversation. Yeah, so did he talk at, you
0: through that process?
1: Oh, yeah, but I was petrified. I just sat there very still. Did
0: you get any prep from your parents saying, this is what we're going to do or it was sort of uh, no, sprung upon you? No, it was just you. that
1: we used to visit this artist every summer and we had a sort of an ongoing relationship with him where we'd buy some of his works. Um, just, you know, nature sketches and things like that. Um, and then one year mum and dad, you know, spoke to him about, about having our portraits um, drawn and my mum still has them hanging in her bedroom. So, you know, it's just I think it made a really big impact on me though being in an artist studio at such a young age because I still love going to artist studios. It's such a a privilege and a treat to go inside where, you know, the magic happens, where they make their work.
0: Um, I imagine you've been to lots of artist studios.
1: (laughs) I have. I've been very fortunate do go to lots of studios around the world, actually, but it's always a complete privilege to go in, yeah.
0: And so you touched on art as you transition into secondary school. What, mm. what, to talk about that, what what's, why do you think kids turn away from it or, or, you know, it's less encouraged as a secondary school focus?
1: Oh, I think that's a really big ongoing cultural issue in Australia that, you know, sport is highly privileged and prioritised yes. um, as a as a cultural pursuit or as a non-cultural pursuit. Um, it's just, you know, that would not happen in Germany or other countries where, they, you know, music would be um, a fundamental core subject at school and art would be a fundamental subject at school. Here it's kind of seen in secondary school as an, an added extra or um, maybe even a soft option right. if you, you know, um, it's just not, it's as a country, we don't prioritize it, which is a shame because there are huge benefits for everybody in, as individuals and as a society, if we actually, um, taught art and, and art history and creative practice.
0: And, and I'd say broadly, there's a good argument for encouraging more soft pursuits than hard pursuits. Totally. Yes. Um, but that's, a, that's another that's conversation. Another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I think that's what's one of the things as an adult, I really appreciate about being in art. Environments is it's a very peaceful um, realm mm. in that when you're looking and experiencing, when you're experiencing art in any format, you're not thinking about generally negative things or, or aggressive things, can, I, I mean, unless the art is promoting them. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, yeah. It, it gives you a moment perhaps of um, respite or um, reflection time for people to, you know, yeah, reflect,
0: which 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 is a healthy thing because it it, it probably um, mitigates some of our more impulsive behaviors. Mm, mm. Um, so, in high school, did you pursue art?
1: Um, no, I studied. I did study graphics, uh, graphic design. I think it's called viscom now, um, but I didn't. Pursued in year twelve because I, there were so many other subjects I wanted to do, and I picked up Japanese. And language takes up a huge amount of time, so yeah, that's what I was focusing on at school and university.
0: And you speak fluent Japanese. Yeah, wow. yeah,
1: probably a bit rusty now, but yeah, Japanese and Korean.
0: I, yeah. I studied um, I studied Japanese and Chinese, and I speak virtually none of either. So yeah. it's a it's a, a admirable talent. So you post high school you went as you as you shared um you went to uh Swinburne
1: Mm. so I did a double degree for my undergraduate course I I majored in um, Japanese and language and culture in my arts degree and I did a um, business degree at the same time and then um and I took a gap year through that where I I traveled um, around the Middle East um spent quite a long time but over six months in Europe and then went to Japan
0: well, um, and gap years, obviously they're quite common now, but I mm, presume some In those days it w- yeah. wasn't
1: so common to take a whole year off and, and basically backpack for a year on my own. Um,
0: and would you encourage that?
1: Um, it's quite different travelling now, I think, because of social media and the connection that we've got. I mean, I can literally remember waiting six weeks between letters, you know, having to go to the Amex office and wait for your letter and... Um, no phone calls for virtually a year. Um, but, yeah, I do I do encourage my children to travel extensively. Um, so I did that and then I came back and ended up doing or um, went on to do um, a master's at Monash University in Asian Studies. So that was um, my thesis was really about the intersection between contemporary Chinese art and um and politics, so using art as a, an arm of soft power, um, and which artists were dissidents and which artists were um, sort of co-opted by the system. So you know that that was really my interest, and still is an interest wow. between art where art and politics intersect.
0: So let, let, let's let's delve into that a little bit. So firstly, the interest in the you know Asia, and you know, obviously you've got deep interest given what that thesis was, but also language and travel. Mm. So w- w- what's what been the compulsion to that part of the world?
1: Um, well, as a child, I spent quite a lot of time with my grandmother in Bali and I'm talking about the early 70s. So before Bali was really a, a sort of hot tourist destination, my grandmother was a really intrepid traveller and she spent time every year going back there and she has had quite a deep relationship with um, locals there. So I went there, so I suppose I was introduced to Asia at a very young age, but my interest has really been Northeast Asia, so Japan, Korea, Hong Kong, China. Um, I've, stu- I've studied in-country as well.
0: I, I, I want to hear more about the thesis, what, what you unlocked in that and, you know, how that informs your perspective today because it's a really mm. fascinating topic.
1: Yes, and I studied that sort of you know, in the early 2000s and and was about to go on and do a PhD in that area and um, for various reasons put that aside and I sort of look back now and think, oh, if only I'd pursued that topic um, at that period of time. You know, not many people were looking at it. In fact, I think Australians were probably some of the first people to really be looking at Chinese contemporary art globally like they were the ones that you know that did the first exhibitions yes. and um research into to the
0: artists. So you've completed your um masters mm-hmm. and then you go off to work,
1: yeah. So my early career, um, I was focused on working in cross cultural organizations. So I worked um, at the National Korean Studies Center um, and then at Asia Link, so both, um. Attached to universities actually, and then I moved across into museums and commercial galleries, and um, and then over a decade ago I founded Art Atlas.
0: So, tell tell me about um, the Earthwatch scholarship and that. Oh, what...
1: okay. Earthwatch scholarship was um, a fabulous opportunity to go to the far west of Nepal and do research into. Um, was actually into midwives and women's health in the far west of Nepal in a really um, a very specific project which was a little bit removed from my my research interests, but it was it was just another opportunity to travel in Asia. So wow. it was really um very exciting. Kathmandu was wonderful. Really unique experience. Yes. Very remote part of Nepal that tourists really don't go to. So um, yeah that w- that was fascinating.
0: And what point was that that was?
1: Oh, that was when I was about twenty
0: two twenty three So you very well traveled at a young age.
1: Yes, I was very fortunate. yeah, my dad was born in Beirut, so um and he'd traveled a lot. and as I said, my grandmother was a great traveler, so I think it was just always part of our upbringing was to you know it was it wasn't really seen to me as something. Um, exotic or unusual to travel. It was just normal.
0: And, uh, you know, were you in these travels both personally and, you know, as part of your studies, were you exploring art at the time?
1: Not actively. I think that was always sort of um, a background interest, but it wasn't at the forefront of my interests, probably until I went to Europe. And then I literally spent you know, days, weeks, months, going to museums, yes, looking at paintings, looking at sculptures, walking around museums. So that was my sort of education. I didn't go to art school as such, but I actually think, in some ways, I um, have a better eye <laughs> than than.
0: Well, it wasn't wasn't prescribed. It was
1: no, and I actually saw the works in real life, whereas in Australia, you know, we've, that's part of the problem in Australia that some previous generations have had is that they haven't actually seen the works in real life. They were always in reproduction right. in, in magazines or art books and or yeah. slides. <laughs> and
0: so do you remember your first gallery, significant gallery moment?
1: Oh gosh. Um, oh, I, I remember going to, you know, the Tate and the National Portrait Gallery in London and then Paris, all the beautiful institutions in Paris um, across Madrid, you know, across Spain, the Prado, across Italy.
0: Yeah, know. the Prado's incredible. I think, yeah. well, well, you know, obviously in a lot of the places you've mentioned, it's the fabric of the place is so tied to art and culture.
1: Yeah, I mean, even the buildings themselves and the, the yeah. sense of, you know. Well, it's architecture is art, right? Mm-mm. Um. Gosh, I'm trying to think now what my favourite would be, but there's just so many across Europe. Um, and then I ended up being in Düsseldorf and um, spending a lot of time at the academy, which is you know the premier art school in Europe, um, where of Boyce had had taught and been the direct, you know the t- director there, and you know some really incredible artists over the years had been through there. So it was literally in the walls, like you could feel. A, you could feel the history and the um, just you know the the depth of knowledge in the place
0: and so just to, uh, share a little bit more about the concept of seeing art in place rather than the reproductions and mm. so to, to what 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 do you feel is the value of that
1: oh gosh um, you know first out the scale being able to see things at, at in size is incredible. Yes, just, and, and
0: then even detail. So, yeah. And the
1: detail, you know, the, the colours, the way, I mean, for me, paint, I, I adore painting. Um, so, you know, whether it's photography or sculpture or installations, all of those have wonderful experiences in real life. But for me, when you look at paintings up close, the brushstrokes and the placement of the paint and the colour mixing in each brushstroke is just extraordinary to be able to see that. Up close instead of on a screen, or
0: and do you, you know, think look. that the way the context is also a really interesting aspect in that you know art can look completely different in different contexts.
1: Yes, and the placements too of how yeah. they're put next to each other or um, on the same floor mm-hmm. as each other or in the same building.
0: Yeah, okay. so how you might even navigate mm. the the gallery itself. So mm. yeah, I think it's spot on, and um, obviously it's a reason to encourage people to see the original the original piece.
1: Absolutely. And the and
0: I guess then you also see the intent as well. Often of the art.
1: Sorry, I'm just thinking of so many museums as you're talking. Um, just recently, been to New, uh, to New Orleans and seen some incredible works there that I just wasn't expecting at all. Um, there was a whole museum dedicated to Southern art, as well as their regular museum, um, and to see the local art was just—it was really eye-opening yeah. to understand the the place, the sense of place, and the history and the layers of history in Louisiana by going through their their museum of Southern art.
0: I think that's a really key point as well. Is obviously the place is so pertinent to a lot of art. Mm. So um, take us up to when you founded Art Atlas and what drove that?
1: Yeah, so Art Atlas is um, a sort of a platform or an agency where I can do many different things and one of them is audience development and um, and some art advisory. I can curate this cultural mediation and, and I can work on different projects like whether it's art exhibitions or presenting documentary films or, um, talks. And I can work with artists and institutions and collectors. But one of the main things I do is, um, run art tours. So people come to me and they might be interested in specific locations or specific fairs. And we'll build a bespoke program around that, um, so I really enjoy working with people, but I also work with institutions and directly with artists as well.
0: Obviously, there's a lot of human elements to this, mm. um, which I think is really interesting. And it's, but if you explain that idea of unlocking and um, art for people and helping them build their appreciation, and mm. you know how that might influence the way they approach collecting or you know developing specific interests.
1: Yeah. So I think. For me, the key is working with people over time, so it's not a, a short-term relationship. It's a long-term, um, you know, relationship where I um, help people develop their own eye. So rather than just telling them like this work would be a good investment or this work would be great for this location in your house, I'm more interested in helping them on that journey of learning more about art and developing their own eye, as um, as l- with less sort of commercial considerations and more as as more as, as a curator would see things as a cultural pursuit, so focusing on what's culturally significant um and and museum worthy art artists.
0: and often that's through storytelling or um sharing history or
1: yes, and often studio visits. yes, I can um, I take people directly to artist studios. Um, or you know, talks or bes- behind the scenes sort of curator-led tours of museums that they wouldn't generally be able to access if they just walked into a gallery by themselves.
0: Yeah, so it's about uh, uh, unlock or you know, um, accessibility, I guess. Correct. Yeah. And and you know, when you see someone see it click for people, or when you sort of see that that passion. Night or unlock, I imagine that must be really gratifying if you've got long relationships with these people.
1: It is. It's really wonderful when um, we visit, say, an institution and the artist, uh, the um, collectors actually say, Oh, I recognise that artist now because I've been to their studio several years ago with you and now I understand that why that work, you know, looks that way or is placed here in this particular exhibition. yeah, it's quite inspiring for them.
0: And you, you more focused on contemporary art?
1: I am. I'm. I'm interested in actually supporting our living Australian artists because you know I think the history of art's fantastic and there's lots of wonderful Australian artists in the past. But I think um, my I feel there's sort of responsibility to be supporting our living artists because they're our cultural practitioners and they need support
0: and patronage <laughs> yeah, yeah. yes um, no that makes sense and in terms of medium you've, you've said paint is your favorite
1: painting's my favorite yeah. but I do I also love photography um, and cinema that's slightly different but um, and sculpture um, large-scale installations I mean there's just so many mediums
0: and and what's your view on some of the newer Art forms and digital art forms.
1: Gosh, I really don't know much about NFTs. I've kind of steered away from that area. Um, yeah, I'm much more interested in the tactile works that we can, you know, touch and smell and feel.
0: Well, I think it's a, it's a, going to be a, a continuing conversation as mm. you know AI comes up, and you know, I, I think what you're talking to and probably I, I I relate to this as well is the humanity mm. in within art.
1: And there are ways that AI can be involved in creative um, or artists can use AI as a creative tool, um, but that's a little bit different from screen-based work. Yes. Mm, or virtual works. Right.
0: Mm. Um, and so obviously this being your your life who are some of your favorite artists
1: oh gosh that's like asking someone to choose their favorite child (laughs) (laughs) who's your favorite child (laughs) (laughs) um
0: and i know your husband's an artist so he has to be your favorite artist well yes
1: maybe i have to say he's my favorite artist but i i think i'd say that probably there's two artists working today in australia who i think are most exciting and they're actually both um Indigenous women in their late 70s or 80s. So one is um, Nungana Marawili, who lives in um, the Yerikala community, like far remote coast of Arnhem Land. Um, And she paints on bark or she does lots of different works, but her works on bark are incredible. And then there's another artist, who um, Betty Muffler, who's a senior artist with um, Iwantia Arts in the APY lands in South Australia. So both very remote places, far removed from what we think of as um, sophisticated art centres. But I think they're both producing some of the most exciting work in the continent. So they're probably my current favourites.
0: And, and just tell us a little bit more, like what is it about the work and, and the approach that attracts you
1: well i think um the fact that they're both you know older women with these incredible bodies of knowledge not necessarily art history what we would think of as western art history it's like lived but experience connection to country yeah. certainly but also like betty works as a healer in her community oh, wow. yeah um so she has this incredible um knowledge of her place and they're seen as elders in their community so it's just a really you know fascinating very different approach to art making than you know art school taught in the inner cities um, but there's a there's a power when you look at the works you can feel the power coming out of them it's like a strength and a power that I find really exciting
0: fantastic um, definitely look out for those artists <laughs> um, and and on that note in you know the and I've got limited experience within the art scene but I'm, it's developing and i have definitely forming more of an interest but it's full of kind of big personalities and luminaries mm. and minor and major celebrities. Um, <laughs> in, your, in your travels, who who are some of those people that you've met and tell us a bit about those personalities.
1: Okay. Well, um, I met um, a major Chinese contemporary artist called um, Sai Guo Chang um in japan actually so i'd I'd met him in australia and then when we lived in japan uh, we spent time with him in japan um and he uh is an artist who uses gunpowder to make these you know dramatic installations or art events so they're not really commercial projects necessarily they're more large-scale artistic gestures and um
0: so so does he fires yeah so yeah he doesn't just use gunpowder he I don't even know what the process is
1: well for example he has taken isamiaki dresses and then exploded um gunpowder on them to make these beautiful patterns and then other times he's actually done um you know works in the sky like sky ladder or um I think he worked on the Beijing Olympics and did the pyrotechnics for them so uh, and you know he's a very fascinating kind of person like he he sort of talks about um communicating with aliens and seeing the work seeing his projects from above in the sky so you know a very different kind of mindset and hugely culturally ambitious project wow Um, so he he was a really fascinating guy to Did
0: you get? Were you convinced that aliens are?
1: <laughs> I think maybe he's an alien <laughs> <laughs> because he just thinks so differently.
0: Well, I think I think one of the things that's interesting about the art world is probably more so than other communities. There's a bit more permission for expansive thinking. Adds adds a dynamic that you might not find in more staid and conservative parts of the yeah culture. I mean,
1: certainly, artists I know that have been, for example. Um, you know, in the last little while, I've taken three studio visits to Janet Lawrence and Caroline Rothwell and Lisa Rowett Studios. And they're very, very different women, very different um, artistic practices and and mediums that they use. But I was thinking about all of them and how they're all interested in um, ecological concerns, environmental issues, horticulture. Um, Lisa Rowett works with primates and animals primarily um, and so I was thinking how these artists have although they've been working with these ideas for many years maybe decades um, they were doing it before it was in the mainstream so that's what I love about working with artists they're often working on ideas and yeah. projects that um, have not you know the general public or the general media may not have quite picked up on yet but there, there's
0: definitely an element of futurism within the arts um, because it's it's unlocking new ways of thinking,
1: yes, and they just have quite a different perspective on how to come at ideas. yep
0: um, and and just on the people factor, one more question there's a, there's a pretentiousness in the some parts of the art scene. How do you avoid those characters where it's you know like it's it's I'm trying to think of the phrasing, but you know what I'm saying? like you know like there's pretenders and then there's people who are more authentic within the art world? yeah
1: there's i think from the outside people think the the contemporary art scene can be quite pretentious, but um you know there are certain personalities um but I think once you once you're inside it you'll find that people are really genuine and genuinely committed to to culture yeah um it just, it can seem a little bit scary from the outside and that's why sometimes people need to be guided through or introduced yes. into um, galleries or institutions.
0: I think that's that's what we're going to talk about next, yeah. so that's a good segue. Um, so as you've explained with Art Atlas, you're essentially travelling the world with people who are interested in, in art and um, it's a really env- enviable profession, I'd say, from outside looking in. Um, but So can you talk us through sort of the early days of Art Atlas and some of the first places that you went to and how you built that brand community?
1: Sure. So a lot of my um, first tours were domestic, so travelling interstate um, to Brisbane to see the Asia-Pacific Triennial or um, Canberra to see specific exhibitions there and... Sometimes I've worked with institutions, so I've taken VIP tours for there. Um, but really it's all been through word of mouth. It's really just been friends of friends of friends who have come on, um, uh, studio visits or tours and wanted to learn more and they've, um, recommended me on to other people. So, which is nice because it's a really organic Yeah, organic and, and I don't advertise, it's just all through friends of friends, really.
0: I mean, what I think is fascinating is it's definitely something I've come to learn in, in starting Joel Found is you could every day of the week go to a different destination, 365 days a year, non-stop, perpetually, that has some relationship to art, a new exhibit, a new gallery, an art event, an art fair, an annual, you know, a one-off. Um, it, it, essentially it's endless the places that art can take you.
1: That's right, but I suppose then you also need to... Be discerning because there's so much on offer. Um, So that's where I I advise people about what's worth going to. Yes, what I consider worth going to, and what I think um, you know can be left aside.
0: (laughs) But I guess from a personal level, I imagine that there's a lot of curiosity about things that you haven't experienced or places that you haven't been. Absolutely,
1: and no matter where you go, like you said, there'll, there'll always be something. I mean, even when we're in a little village in Laos in Lumprabang, we managed to find an artist studio a woman who was the shaman who was making incredible quilts you know and that was completely unexpected but yes artists work everywhere <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so um these these groups that you started with in the domestic tours did you have a specific approach to the programs that you built were they specific to the event
1: um so usually I'll start with Um, an event or um, an art fair and build a program around that that would always include studio visits, private collection tour and um, museum, behind-the-scenes museum visits. So it's more than just going into the institution. It's other things um, that I can have access to or provide access to around that.
0: And which, which cities do you consider to be the art capitals?
1: Well... I think that Paris and London have always been considered the European art capitals of the, the, the 20th century. Um, certainly Paris up until you know World War Two, and then it moved more to New York. Um, and so those cities um, have incredible depth of museums and um, New York is the undisputed capital of modern art. Um, but these days I think that Euro american model or has shifted and so contemporary gl- contemporary art in the 21st century is much more global um it can be produced anywhere it can be exhibited anywhere and so it's really um a global phenomenon so that i mean i still think the traditional venues like the venice biennale are incredibly important but there are other places too like the Sharjah biennale or um the Quangjuvian, you know, other places around the world which are becoming very important as well.
0: I mean, I think there's traditionally, like you said, there's been some art capitals based on the history of art and but I think there's a lot of emerging art centres, there's a lot of interest in art that maybe didn't exist before in certain places. I mean, I was um, listening to another podcast about Saudi Arabia, and obviously Saudi is making a massive push to open up to tourists. And obviously there's a relationship to art and culture and how they're using that as a linchpin for compelling people to that place.
1: Yeah, well, there's certainly a connection between creative industries and, um, and tourism. And a lot of countries around the world have made that connection and have put a vast amount of money into those things, like Singapore, Korea, Saudi Arabia. UAE. Yep, UAE. I mean, they understand that it's um, a really critical way of getting people to visit their country.
0: Have you been to Abu Dhabi, to the Louvre?
1: I have not yet, no. Uh,
0: We went there pre-COVID. It's, it's to my mind, coming from a different perspective but it's the best gallery i've ever been to right i think because i'm so into architecture the building itself um, john Nouvelle, um is astounding it's like another planet Mm -hmm. and then you know a purpose-built gallery because obviously you know a lot of the more historical galleries have evolved and you know been a smaller building and you know not necessarily had the scale to support art as it grows
1: and also the um the money to provide that infrastructure
0: yes, yes whereas they've basically built an entire island dedicated to art yeah in, in abu dhabi
1: extraordinary i mean other countries just not
0: compete cannot with that compete. well yeah and I, but i think also that you know we've spoken to, to that a little bit but you know it, it's clear that there's a, a national government agenda there that beyond the more kind of um authentic cultural Yes, Element. there
1: are layers to it, but there's certainly an issue of nation building or yes. positioning the nation and using using art and culture as a as a as I was saying, an arm of soft
0: power. Yes, this is your thesis again. Mm-hmm. And um and and tell me some of the more obscure places that the art has taken you. Oh, um, I mean, you talked about a few of the places you've been it's part of your studies and.
1: Mm-hmm. But I mean, I wouldn't say obscure, but um, memorable, perhaps. Yes, yes. I mean, Istanbul, going to Istanbul um, for the Biennale and the Art Fair Contemporary Istanbul um, several years ago. That was just wonderful. Beautiful city, amazing,
0: very unique city, yeah, and vast,
1: just, just extraordinary, really, as a as a tourist destination. But um, that was really fabulous. Um, New Orleans recently has been really um, just intoxicating mm. kind of place for mm. me. Um, I didn't really expect to be so interested in the art and architecture there. I thought yes. it would be more the food and the music, but it's it's got everything, New Orleans.
0: I mean, just thinking about, you know, you've talked a lot about studio visits. I imagine if you wanted to, you could find artists any corner of the world. How do you, mm. how do you approach that? Um, process and then making contact and then uh, you know harnessing these opportunities to spend time with those artists.
1: I mean that's a, a network that I've built up over many many years of of knowing places in different cities, um, and whether that's a you know I may not know an artist when I arrive in that city, but I may already know a curator right. or um, a museum director, and partly that's over um, years of of going to art. Um, events, events yeah. like going to conferences or, or openings or, um, or affairs and, and, and meeting people and bumping into old friends at those places and reconnecting with them, um, in one city and then catching up with them in another city. Mm.
0: And I imagine that, you know, there's a lot of artists who are really op- happy to share their process and open up their studios, mm. um, to, to people who are interested?
1: Um, some are. Some are quite private yes. and shy. And and the other thing about lots of artists I find is um, they may not be very good at speaking about the work themselves because their skills are in the creation, yes. the thinking about the work and the creating it, and not necessarily the discussing. You know, yep. the, the conversation often is left to art historians or curators or somebody else to talk about the work. Um, so and then again there are artists that are incredibly articulate right. that are highly articulate about their practice. Um, so finding somebody that is has an amazing studio, amazing work, um, who's willing to open up their studio and who's able to discuss it themselves, it, you know, it's, it's not... Um, it can be quite, quite rare to find. So they're very special people. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, it's a great uh, skill that you have to be able to find those um, opportunities. But I think I, I, um, what's interesting to me is if there's an entirely new place and you say, I want to go to this city, or I want to go to this village and to find the art within it and then to find those moments.
1: Yeah, that's, I don't know how I do that. I just, I just <laughs> tend to find the artists, no matter what, no matter what city I'm in.
0: So, so on that note, and you know, we've talked about it a lot in terms of art festivals and art events, mm-hmm. and how they can be really compelling opportunities to visit a place. Um, I was lucky enough this year to go to Art Basel Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spent a lot of time in Hong Kong as a on business, and in my previous life, when I was manufacturing, we manufactured most of our product out of um, out of China. Um, so I was there a lot. I was in Hong Kong four or five times a year going back post COVID, um, for Art Basel was an entirely new experience and it was incredible. And I was in rapture most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it really helped me understand that art as a, as a compulsion to a place is incredible.
1: Yeah, I was lucky enough to be there a few weeks ago too in Hong Kong again for the first time post-COVID and I was a bit, um, you know, nervous about how things would be because they'd been locked down so brutally for so long and they hadn't had tourists for so long. Um, But I was amazed at how it had bounced back. It was jumping, um, especially Kowloon side and the whole West Kowloon precinct with... um, m plus pavilion oh, m, m plus and um the palace museum um and then the whole new shopping precinct and it, it's just got an amazing energy and excitement there at the moment that i wasn't quite expecting to find so very very happy to find that
0: um and m plus we can talk about a little bit in a little bit more detail because it's mm-hmm. incredible and um you know i spent I spent a bit of time there on this last trip, um, from an architectural point of view. Herzog and de Moira, an incredible architecture, Correct. yeah. Office, um, and they've built an extraordinary building. Um, but tell tell us more about the the collection, and was it what what were, exhibition did you see?
1: Um, there were several. There was um, there was a dedicated exhibition to um, a Chinese fashion designer, um, which was really interesting to see, fashion through the 80s and 90s in China. Um, and then the the permanent collection, um, which has an incredible depth as well, and very easy to navigate the building. Um, so, you know, I think we spent a couple of hours there, but could have easily spent more. And then um, upstairs there's a fabulous members lounge, which overlooks one of the most beautiful harbours in the world. Um, so, you know, there's certainly a lot to say there.
0: How, I mean, and this is a bit of advice for people listening, but also just how one might experience a a tour with you. How do you navigate a museum? Like, do you have a approach? Do you?
1: Um, generally, if it was a, a large museum, we would focus, um, as a group on one area together, um, usually with a curator. Uh, to give us some insights into the, the works and then I would allow people time on their own to explore and then come back together and discuss what we've seen.
0: It's something that's really interesting when you think about architecture and, and placemaking and, you know, the, all of these incredible buildings all around the world, considering, you know, how the best way to navigate these, these mm-hmm. places is, um, I agree, like I think M plus has done an exceptional job. And its relationship even to the harbour. Yeah. I would encourage everyone who gets a chance to visit it. I didn't get to the palace when I was there. I ran out of time.
1: No. Yeah, we spent too long at the impasse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, not enough time. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you're when you're travelling for work, cause how might a typical day look for you?
1: Oh, uh, well, if I'm leading a group, um, it would be yeah visits to museums to look at collections or or large-scale exhibition. and then we'd probably swing by some commercial galleries um and look at some works there and and a studio visit to locally based artists. So um, you know, that's that's kind of the um, three things I like to do on any tour and um and of course, punctuated by stops at delicious restaurants and beautiful. Um, food
0: yeah so and when you're putting together like food options as Mm -hmm, an example mm -hmm. do you try and create a narrative or you're just looking for like the best flavors like what how do you approach or even with accommodation are you looking for places that have a relationship to art
1: sometimes I mean it has to satisfy location um you know so that we're not traipsing from one side of town to another. Yes, so there's some
0: practicalities there's at some play. There's
1: practicalities, and you know, comfort. Um, not necessarily an art hotel, right? Um,
0: art hotel is a really interesting topic, and yeah. I, and I think what it's obviously it's it was a trend, sort of probably in the early two thousands, mm. and then it's been co opted by the big chains. But I think what's you know at the premium end of the market, there's a lot of hotels that have curators and they have, Mm. they have their own collections and they really understand that investment in, in art as part of, um, the guest experience. Yeah. And, and we, we talked about, you and I, before we started recording Rosewood in Hong Kong as an example. So Rosewood has an incredible collection of art that, um, when I visited, was able to get that, that, that was shared with me, but then you see other hotels that from my perspective don't even really understand and art. And may
1: not do it very well. Don't do it yeah. well. Like
0: it's a lot of reproductions, a lot of yes. gallery walls that are really scary when you look at what they include.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And and I think that, you know, from my perspective, I think art can subconsciously, like within an environment that you stay, can subconsciously enhance your experience as well if it's considered. and
1: Yeah, if it's done really well. Um, so that has to be done from the outset when they first design the hotel rather than being seen as an afterthought or you know just something that's plonked in later and and you can see that as a as a visitor you can tell when it's been considered well
0: we need it we need something for that wall yeah quick quick, quick, put a poster up (laughs) (laughs) so tell us the places that inspire you every day
1: i mean as a as a visitor not as in terms of art but as a visitor you know places like kyoto and um, New Orleans are incredible because of the layers of history. So I, I love travelling to places like that and I always love going to um, the food markets in any city that you're in because I think that just gives you an incredible insight into the place. Yes. Um, whether it's, you know, Nishiki Market in Kyoto or, um, you know, an outdoor market in Bali or Lumprabang with Food is spread out on a cloth on the floor. You know that's, for me, a really beautiful way into a city. Um, but in terms of um, art, I think you know one of the one of the most exciting cities that for art I think at the moment is Seoul in Korea. And um, I, as I said, I've studied there years ago, but that was way before. Um, K wave hit. Yes. So, you know, K pop, K music, K beauty, um, Korean popular culture is is to Asia now what US was the US was to Western pop culture mm. in the twentieth century. So, so they're having an absolute moment. Um, but I could see that you know twenty five years ago the 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 cinema, Korean cinema and Korean art already had a huge commitment to it by the government and huge um following in country but now it's just exploded across asia so um that's certainly a place i want to get back to very soon um and they have wonderful art institutions there
0: what are some of the bigger galleries that people should visit
1: um the national korean museum has a beautiful outdoor sculpture gallery or um, sculpture park attached to it and um there's some incredible commercial galleries too. Um,
0: so on that note, just before I forget, the sculpture park in Auckland that you told me about.
1: Oh, Gibbs Farm. Yes. So that's a little bit outside of Auckland and it's, it's actually the largest sculpture park in the Southern Hemisphere. It's extraordinary. Um, I can't remember how many acres it is, but hundreds of acres that lead right down to the, the shore, the water, um, filled with, you know, roaming giraffes, and um, animals as well as large scale works by artists like Richard Serra or Anish Kapoor, um, you know, placed into the landscape so that, that's an incredible venue, but it's not open to the public. It's um
0: So you have to go through you to get there,
1: right? <laughs> well you have yeah, you have there's only a few days a year when wow. you're actually granted access. Yeah.
0: I, I, I love sculpture as a as a medium, you know, just so the di- you know, the dimension of it where mm. you can walk around it and
1: oh, these are unbelievably huge.
0: Yes. I, I remember you telling me about that and it's definitely on my list. So yeah. um that's awesome. So now we're gonna drill into a few specific destinations, including one that we were both just at. So literally last week, the week before was Sydney Contemporary. I got a chance to spend some time with you and part of your program, which was fantastic. Um, But again, it was also great to be in Sydney for that. Weather was fantastic, which is obviously Sydney is well known for, but the city was buzzing. Mm. um, And, you know, there was, there was a lot of, people who are very energised about art. So tell us about the program that you built and some of the highlights and I think we can talk about the new gallery um, at the at New South Wales.
1: Sure. So it was a very stimulating week of um, exclusive tours. So part of it were muse- museum visits. So we went to um, places like the multidisciplinary Chowcheck Wing at the Sydney uh, University, um, which places contemporary work alongside their... Um, university collections and then another highlight was um, a private collection tour to um, a home in Rose Bay and that's always really exciting to see how an individual collects over time in depth and what they've collected Um, you know it's it's so different to see works in a home with all their personal objects, their books, their their lifestyle, their furniture, everything as opposed to just viewing it in a gal- on a gallery wall. Absolutely. So,
0: um I imagine it's sort of it's one of the highlights for a lot of the for a lot of your groups.
1: It really is, and they actually get quite inspired by seeing how other collectors have have been on their collecting journey over time.
0: I mean, I think we're all kind of fascinated with people's inner lives, right? So when you relate yeah. it to art, it yes. adds a really unique layer.
1: Yeah. Um, and then an, another favourite activity was um, visiting an, uh, an art, Caroline Rothwell, in her studio and um, listening to her talk about how she'd, um, you know, first started as a kid growing up in the north of England and now is a practising artist here making work about um horticulture and climate change and yeah, and seeing how it's all fabricated and that was a really, you know, deeply personal um kind of space for her, but she allowed us in there to talk about her work. So that was a real highlight too. And then yes, we went to the new North Building as it's called, or sometimes it's known as Sydney Modern. Together we saw the um the North Building of the Art Gallery of New South Wales, which is a multi-story, you know, incredible um, architectural um, phenomenon really that they've been able to to pull together over the last few years and we spent time in the um, Indigenous collection but there are several floors there and so... Um, being able to look through that was sort of, you know,
0: a great way to finish the week. So t- tell us about that um, Indigenous collection because I, w- I was with you for that. Um, yeah. for that moment, and, and I, I mean, I thought it was incredibly well curated mm. um, and staged in that new space. Yeah,
1: I love that it's on the ground floor, so it's a deliberate um, strategy by the museum to make a statement that the first thing you see when you come into an Australian museum or gallery is Indigenous work first and foremost.
0: I think you see the shop first, don't you? Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, it's it's off to
1: the left and it's, you know, covered up. Um, Yeah, but I I think that's really important because previous, you know, generations that would have been tucked away.
0: Um, and it makes
1: a really strong statement.
0: But tell us a little bit about some of the artists represented in that space.
1: Yeah, there's um, a whole range of works from traditional bark paintings and, and pottery by the Hermannsburg Potters. Um, there's beautiful paintings by Emily, um, who's one of Australia's, you know, most well-known Indigenous artists. Um, photography, um, including, you know, Tracy Moffat and um, other uh, leading Indigenous photographers. So there was a
0: work you pointed out to me, um, I can't remember the artist's name. It's a female. I think that was Emily. That oh, was Emily. And then yeah. she, there was also work on show at the Sydney Contempor- yeah, Contemporary. Yeah, so
1: that's right. Um, there's, there were several um, booths or art galleries at the fair that was um, had pieces of hers for sale. And she's about to have a very large-scale exhibition survey at the National Gallery of Art in Canberra that will open in December. So um, that'll be a great opportunity for people to see a, a very large survey of her work in one place.
0: And the Sydney Contemporary itself, any thoughts on what you saw there and the staging?
1: Yeah. Um, I love the venue. I know that you're not such a big fan of the venue, but I think Carriage Works is a great venue and it gives a real sense of um, location when you go to the Sydney Fair as opposed to being in any other fair around the world. Um, the work was really strong. There was a great offering of works. Um, I think there were 96 different galleries this year, um, over 500 artists. So there's a lot to say. It can be a bit overstimulating.
0: I was there. On the opening night and then I went back on the weekend. It was so busy, which was great to see as well, and a real cross-section of Mm. attendees. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was very, you know, that's obviously exciting to see how um, inspired people are by art.
1: Yeah, so we tend to visit the preview day, um, which is meant to be a time when it's much quieter and you've got more time to really stroll around and look at the works in a quieter environment and speak to the gallerists. Um, But even the preview was quite busy.
0: And why do you think that is? Is
1: I just think there's more and more people um, who are realising how wonderful it is to come to the art fairs um, early.
0: Yes. So, um, yeah. You know, and I I think what's great and exciting is these cultural moments on the calendar as well where people are, you know, drawn to this category.
1: Yeah, so people are definitely travelling there specifically for that now. Um there were a lot of Melbourne people there actually who had made the effort to go up.
0: Um so on that note, we're sort of looking to the next to the next moment on the calendar. Um and so that's something we've been working on together, which is um in Adelaide next month. So tell us about Tanundi. Yeah,
1: Tanundi. And this
0: is something sorry, this is something that you um shared with me that I never knew about until we started talking. Yeah,
1: I don't think a lot of people know about it yet. It is an annual festival, but it's the leading platform for showcasing um, Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander art across the whole country. So there are other events, like the Cairns Art Fair and um, Desert Mob in Alice Springs, but um, this is like the leading festival and it's actually statewide across South Australia, but it's focused very heavily on the Art Gallery of South Australia and they have a whole series of events, including curators' uh, talks, workshops, um, music performances and then there's also an art fair um, nearby at the Adelaide uh, Exhibition Centre. So the opening weekend is next month and it runs for a few months but I think the excitement um, and the atmosphere of being there for the opening weekend is incredible Um, because I think for any uh, small city when they have a festival, whether it's the Edinburgh Festival for comedy or um, the Adelaide Festival, um, when you're in a small city it activates the whole city. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, a lot of things to see and do in in a short space of time and it's really exciting. I think
0: that's uh, spot on and how does a city activate around these events Mm -hmm. and I think you see it particularly when you're talking about sort of smaller places but it happens everywhere i mean that was for me one of the takeaways from hong kong i felt like the city was really activated around art mm-hmm. um so within the tanundi program are there any sort of moments that you can talk to that we we're, we're looking at or um
1: i'm really excited about the
0: art fair because i just think it gives people an
1: opportunity to see um work directly from remote communities uh, that they wouldn't necessarily get to visit otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So that's really interesting to me. Um. But also, you know, I just I just thought when I went to it a few years ago prior to COVID, I thought Tanundi was one of the um, most exciting festivals I'd been to in ages around art. But there's just a really great energy around it that sometimes I don't know some some festivals can be a little bit. Shaded, but. Right, and
0: I think I think it's sort of t- also what you touched on earlier. You, to, to to really understand it, you have to be there. You have to experience it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the opportunity to hear the music performed live in the courtyard of the art gallery, and then wander directly in and see the work, meet the artists, um, and it's beautifully curated. They do a wonderful job there.
0: I'm really excited to see that. So that's happening um, next month. Um now you know thinking about the the travel calendar and there's lots of yeah. lots of different events we've talked to I think what's interesting is like you you said there's um obviously there's the fairs there's the art weeks there's the there's the triennales, there's um but then there's also exhibits that are a reason enough to visit a place like Emily in, in the National Gallery um so really like we said there's you know every week of the year you could be going somewhere that relates to art are there some must visit events that you would put on everyone's list
1: well i do think hong kong art basil now is is a must visit i was i wasn't so sure um after the covid years what would be happening
0: there maybe people who aren't so familiar there's a couple of big um uh, global art brands Mm. Basel, Art Basel, Freeze, So maybe explain how those groups work and then the the different fairs around the world.
1: Yeah. So I would say in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been an explosion of both curated biennales and commercial art fairs around the world. And um, sometimes they've been started by individuals, um, but more and more they've been sort of brought up by groups so art stage in Singapore used to be individually run. Now it's kind of morphed into part of the um the group that also has Sydney Contemporary, um, Tokyo Gendai and Auckland Art Fair, um, which is slightly changing next year. So um those those groups run these incredible art fairs, but also Art Basel are probably the most well known ones. They have Traditionally, Basel in Switzerland, but also now Miami in Florida. Which is
0: very famous. Yes. I think celebrities have made that famous. Yeah,
1: it's a bit of a scene and um, a real party culture, but, you know, fantastic place to go. Um, And they also have Art Basel, Hong Kong. Um, So they're sort of um, another group. And then Freeze has London and um, more recently Seoul.
0: Um, and so, so these and then obviously the cities create programs around them and there's a lot of satellite events and yeah. then it becomes a whole moment in time yeah um, and and it's a really good way to sort of start thinking about um, compelling places mm. um, so we've been talking about Hong, Hong Kong for next year Seoul for next year um, yeah. but then there's a bunch of other things happening in places you know really interesting places like Mexico City um, have you,
1: I haven't been to. It's um, on a Marco? In, yeah, I yeah. haven't been to that one yet, but it's certainly on my radar. Um, I think um, you're talking about uh, Saudi Arabia before too, and um, the UAE. There, there's some exciting. Um,
0: art Dubai has, yeah. I've heard lots of good things about.
1: Yeah, and the Sharjah Biennial.
0: And so these um, events that happen in lots of different places, in terms of what art is shown, So you've got a lot of galleries converging Mm. on the place. Is the art location specific or is it a variety?
1: Usually the art, the galleries from around the world will, um, put together a group of artists from their stable that they want to show and put forward. And, um, and then they need to be selected to be included in the fair, it's not necessarily you know, a given that if you apply, you get in.
0: So, so I think I just want to give people an idea of what they might see at these, like what the, what, what the cross section of art on show is.
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, certainly if you went to, um, Art Basel in Switzerland, you'll see a lot more Euro-American work and the exciting thing about going to seoul or singapore or hong kong is you will see more galleries focusing on work that's produced from the region yes um so you will get a local flavor
0: uh, I, what i liked when i went and to Art basel hong kong was um i i felt like most galleries were quite restrained in what they had on show so it didn't feel overwhelming you had a chance oh. to really discern a lot of Different art, Mm -hmm. but I thought that the galleries had chosen really well what they wanted to represent. Um, That's interesting. For me, as a relative novice, where, you know, I'm, you know, so I I really got a chance to sort of see diversity, but it wasn't like, let's throw everything at this. It was like, let's be really um, curated in what Mm. we share.
1: Yeah, I think the gallery, I mean, it costs the galleries a lot of money to attend a fair. Um, so they're very careful about what they bring um, and they show. And also sometimes if works are sold on at the preview or on the first day, they take those down and they rehang works right. or and other works. So um, there sometimes can be a bit confusing if you're going back to a booth and you think, oh, that's different to what I saw. <laughs>
0: um, it's interesting you touch on the, There's Obviously there's a lot of VIP elements to these events and um, a lot of it is targeted at established collectors what i think is interesting this idea of emerging collectors Mm -hmm. and giving people access to these events um maybe at the start of their collecting journey Mm. Um, do you have a view on that
1: i think it's it's really good to bring emerging collectors through but there is certainly a a price point element too Mm -hmm. i mean what you see at the sydney contemporary fair um You know, I think the most expensive work I saw, the most expensive was $1 million. Um, Whereas if you went to Art Basel, I'm not saying that's the starting point, but it would certainly be a much higher price point because the works are uh, international art is much more expensive than Australian art generally. And um, also the works they show are probably blue chip works.
0: But I think also there's still ways to experience the place, even if you maybe not ready to spend. Correct. On, no, and on...
1: and it's great to see those works, but you may not be anywhere near ready. I, I
0: didn't buy one thing. <laughs> so, we talked about Seoul and this Korean, you know, cultural moment that mm. is 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 happening and exploding globally. Um, Freeze, um, is a relatively new new show in.
1: Yeah, it's, they they also have another art fair called. Kiev, Korean International Art Fair, I think, uh, which has been running for a while and now Seoul Freeze as well. So there's two exciting um, art fairs Are they concurrent or they're... Yeah, they sort of overlap, I think, in uh, one week in September.
0: And it's like the same time as Sydney Contemporary, which is hard yes, for Australian...
1: It is very hard because there's also another big art exhibition in New York called the Armoury Art yes. Fair. Yes, it's at the same time the as well. The same week. Wow. So, you know, you can be in any part of the world and, and have access to one of three great exhibitions. So you
0: just got to figure out which year you do which, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: So next year it will be Seoul Freeze. Um, and I'm really looking forward to getting back to Korea after so long. That's
0: Awesome. Um, and I think there's a lot of great ideas and definitely stay tuned to Joel found an art atlas to see what's coming in terms of programs. What I like to do to finish the podcast episode is, quick fire round of questions okay. so this is where um i i just ask you quick questions and you the first thing that springs to mind mm-hmm. um all travel related obviously mm-hmm. um so here we go Are you ready sure okay so uh favorite gallery anywhere <laughs> oh
1: <laughs> oh favorite gallery anywhere oh um well i'll i'll say m plus uh, for now just mind. because it's top of mind well, that's having fine. just been there yeah, yeah
0: yeah um favorite art city
1: Istanbul.
0: Uh, Favourite airline? Cathay Pacific. Uh, best meal you've had while travelling?
1: Um, probably Hong Kong.
0: The recent trip?
1: Yeah. Mot um, 32.
0: Oh yes. Yep. Amazing. Um, friendliest country?
1: Uh, Japan. Probably politest country, Japan. Yeah. Uh,
0: when you're packing, do you fold or roll? Uh, Flat. Flat pack. Yeah, no rolling. <laughs> um, window or aisle?
1: Uh, window. Uh,
0: most famous person you've encountered while travelling?
1: Um,
0: Could be an art celebrity. Oh. I know not everyone's good at this. This is my special subject. That's why I ask.
1: Oh, oh well, I'm still thinking of Sai chang
0: Okay, and last question. I give you a ticket to one place right now. Where do you go?
1: Marrakesh. I'd go to oh. Morocco. Wow. Even with the earthquake, even with the recent earthquake. Incredible city. Yeah. We'd love to go there.
0: Yeah. No, I think, and it definitely obviously is part of the recovery. Tourism is an important element that people keep going back there. So Mm. Mm. it needs to be supported. Good suggestion. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Well, really appreciate the time you spent this morning with us. Thank you, Joel. Um, Really excited for everything we're talking about together and um, some of the future experiences that we're going to have. Yeah. Can't Um, wait. So if people want to learn more about Art Atlas, um, yep. they can find the website um, artatlas.com.au. Correct. Yeah. Um, and obviously we'll share those details mm-hmm. and have a look at joelfound.com for the upcoming programs. Yep. Thank you very much, Joel. Thanks, Kate. See ya.